0: His name is David, King David. There's more written about this man, with the exception of Jesus Christ, than anyone in all of the Bible, and it's not even close. 66 chapters in the Older Testament, 59 references in the New Testament. He is the original Renaissance man. He's a poet, author, musician... He's a a warrior, a commander, a king, a giant killer. He is somehow able to be both tender-hearted, a good shepherd, and a warrior. (laughs) There's nothing like David. The capital city, Jerusalem, is called the City of David. His hometown of Bethlehem, is the birthplace of the Messiah. He is in the line of the Messiah. The Messiah will come like King David. But the greatest accolade he receives from God himself where God says that David is a man after God's own heart. This semester, we're going to look together at one of the very few hinges of world history. You can't know human history without knowing about the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel becomes a united monarchy in this hinge of history, and David is the pin of that hinge. Today I'd like to just give you a quick survey of the context of this story and get us to David's life where we'll start next week. In First and second Samuel that precedes that, 40 years before David is inaugurated, there is a book called Judges. It is about hundreds of years of Israel, the nation of God, descending into the heart of darkness. It is a series of grotesque stories of immorality and excessive violence. You do not want to read Judges to your little children at bedtime. And in the context of of those hundreds of years, is there hope? Wait, there is. There's a bright light in a man named Samuel because he can hear God's voice And he obeys. He's the last judge. And as he's aging out, we find that his sons are thugs. (laughs) Taking advantage of their power. And the people demand something else. And we see in Samuel 8 verse 5, he says, Behold, you have, these are the people speaking to Samuel, You have grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us. A king. A king to judge over us like all the other nations. They say they want a king like all the other nations. And the very point and purpose of Israel's existence is to not be like other nations. And that's what they want. They want to be a futon nation where they're good for nothing. And th- so this, this, this demand upon Samuel grieves him. He goes to the Lord in prayer, and God says this. He says, let's, let's, we're going to give them what they want, because they've not rejected you. They have rejected me t- as their king. And so, <laughs> let's give them what they want. If lust and hate is what they want, let's just give them what they want. And they they... The Lord gives them a king like all the other nations. His name is King Saul. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 9, Oh, King Saul is handsome like no one else in all of Israel. And not only that, he's a head taller than everyone else. Long live our king. In chapter 11... God, in his mercy, gives Saul his, his first big military victory. It's, it's like pushing him, you know, giving him push start. Get The hardest part, get that inertia going. He wins. And from that point on, you can see his career is like watching someone fall down a flight of stairs in slow motion. And he's bringing Israel with him. You'll see in the life of Saul that there's not a single mention of Saul's love for God or his love for his commands. What you will see, and this is going to be our lesson today, is that Saul has a proud heart. He is selfish and arrogant. It leads to just paranoia, insanity, and acts of violence. He's a king just like all the other kings. And what what do all the other kings do with with power and authority? They use it for their own promotion and for their own gain. I'd like to draw attention to chapter 15 because this is the story. This is the final event that has God, Yahweh God, looking for a new king. And I want you to listen to how Saul's arrogance completely (laughs) twists. His view of, of reality, and he will be the definer of obedience. He will become the absolute authority on what obedience is in this story. Listen for that. Now the, the, the story is about raging a war against the Amalekites. and the Amalekites were like the, the rabid hyenas of the Middle East. When we're introduced to the Amalekites, they are so vile that when Israel is just a baby nation, wandering in the wilderness with Moses, they, they get to be the first group of people that, t- that try genocide upon this fledgling nation of Israel. They're the first ones to try to absolutely exterminate all the people of God. And God's saying, it's time to make this right. If we don't stop them now, they'll come back and try it again. And they do the book of Esther. So this is the command from God through Samuel to Saul. And 15.1 says, and Samuel said to Saul, now you listen now to this message from Yahweh. This is what Yahweh Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel. And when they waylaid them, when they were just coming out of Egypt, now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare anything or anyone. It's even more clear. We don't have time, but this is what Saul does. And Saul took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves, the fat lambs, everything that was good. These They were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak... Oh, they totally destroyed that. Everything rank, they killed. Everything precious, they kept. But know this. It was all about Saul. He keeps the king of the Amalekites... ...as his personal trophy. There's things they do to foreign kings. Conquered kings. And then the saving the good cows and sheep the fat ones that was he allowed that to happen so his troops would like him more it was all about Saul and if that weren't bad enough at the end of this battle with the Amalekites Saul takes a detour to Mount Carmel to build a monument in his own image here's the the confrontation between Samuel and Saul after this takes place and I want you to listen to, to, I want you to listen to the power of the pride that is in Saul. His soul he's, he's going to redefine God's standards. He's going to justify his disobedience. He's going to blame other people, the troops, for his decisions. And then if that weren't bad, finally, he's, just going, to, he's going to wrap the whole thing in church talk and say, we're doing this for, we're, we're disobeying for religious purposes. Boy, that sounds familiar. Anyway, Sam, so Samuel meets with Saul. Here are the first words that as, as Samuel walks up to King Saul, Samuel, Saul says, This, Samuel, may the Lord bless you. For I have been completely obedient to the commands of God, I have destroyed everything of the Amalekites. Now, while he's saying that, you can hear, ma." Moo. And so Samuel responds, I can't hear you over the cattle and all these sheep. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that. Saul says, the troops saved the good meat for a sacrifice to your God. And he, he honestly believes that. Because he says again, a second time, he says, but I have completely obeyed the Lord. Well, the the men took that meat for sacrifice to the Lord. It was a, it was a it was an offering. He believes this. This is the this is the power of, of of pride and how it dements us. It it twists reality around so that we can we can make sure that we're right. And we're going to just redefine what right and wrong is so that we don't have to admit wrong. And we'll even we'll even use church words Jesus words so that we can say well we're, we're doing it for the Lord <laughs> and here's the lesson for everyone who is a follower of Yahweh through Jesus Christ listen <laughs> because this is what's right and real and true here's the lesson verse 15 chapter 15 verse 22 and 23 and then Samuel replied Does Yahweh delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, witchcraft. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Here's the application. To obey is better than sacrifice. And the purpose of this story is for all of us. And the purpose is this. Fear pride. And, and fear the power of pride. This, this arrogance, this, this claim you know, statement, absolute truth from Samuel from the mouth of God is... Arrogance is like idolatry. Why? Because you worship yourself. And when, when you give in to pride and when you surrender to the Saul within us... Yeah, this is, the, this is the lesson. Saul is within us. Every one of us has this. Just waiting to be fed. And, and when, when we become that kind of proud... We think we can fool God. We honestly think we can like pull one over on him by by saying, oh, it's for the Lord. It's it's church talk, Jesus speak. And his point is you can go to church and and you can memorize verses, know all the old test, I'm sorry, the the Ten Commandments and, and the Beatitudes by heart. And he said, but it's about obedience. It's not about your vocabulary and your ability to try to pull one over. (laughs) That's what obedience means. I remember when our our children were growing up, I guess everyone has a moment where you're trying to define what obedience is in a household. But our phrase was, obey all the way, right away. Because it, it was Not all the way, and it wasn't right away. Obedience is all the way right away. That's what it means. Partial obedience, there's a word for that, Samuel tells us. Partial obedience is disobedience. (laughs) I'm almost faithful to my mate. I'm almost honest. We have words for those, and it has nothing to do with obedience. This is what the Lord says. To obey is better than sacrifice. I'll say this again. This is the point. Saul is in your heart. He lives within us. He lives in me. And when you see, we see this a lot around us. You see a politician or some media person look right into the camera and bold face lie. And they know it. They don't blink. They don't even, like their eye doesn't even twitch. It's like, how can... How can that even happen? This is how it happens. And it happens because there was a, there's moments and times where we have a chance to fear the soul within us, this pride, and we can repent early and often, and in that we can maintain our innocence. Or we can lose it. We can lose it in that moment that our conscience that it's tied to the Spirit of God, says, look, you, we need to get this right. We need to take responsibility for that. And then the ego kind of comes, shh, No, 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 come on, let's not overreact. And the next thing you know, you're, you're getting used to sin. And then you start, like, redefining what sin is. Then it's, Blaming others or circumstances. Well, you know, here's... I mean, I'm I'm different. I'm I'm coming off this event, and so therefore I get to... And sometimes we find ourselves justifying acts of disobedience using church words. It It was for the Lord. And we have a heart of stone. We find ourselves with a heart of stone. If you can... Involve yourself in a premeditated sin and sleep well at night. You're on a highway, Saul's highway. And it's the road to destruction and it's all downhill. It just keeps getting easier to get in the habit of sin. And the choices become ultimately a destiny. If you look at Saul and his pride, and in us as well, you can see that he is completely untethered from reality. He's seeing the world through his egotistical eyes, where he is never wrong and always right. And he thinks he can negotiate this with God. He is a kite, unencumbered by string, and he thinks that's a great way to live, and he's going to have, when we continue to read about him, he's going to have this perpetual descent because the road that Saul is on, the highway, is all downhill, and he will literally participate in witchcraft. His actions are, are going to lead him to attempt the murder of two men that deeply love him and are committed to him. David and his own, and his own son, Jonathan, he will try to kill. His ultimate end will, will be a, a violent death in a war, and he will have his three sons with him to experience this violent death. And these Four family of Saul Saul and his three sons their dismembered corpses will hang from the walls of the enemies of God and they'll be like a billboard for you and for me pride comes before fall this is supposed to be a startling and graphic lesson for all of us to fear pride, fear the power of pride. <laughs> Look, this is, this is punctuated. There's this exclamation point that Samuel's going to bring to this storyline for us by showing that, that, that obedience is all the way right away. Here's, how, here's what he does. Samuel says, after this conversation with Saul, he says, Okay, bring me the K- Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Ag- Agag is fetched, and he's brought to, to the presence of King Saul. And then Samuel pronounces these words. Agag, as your sword has made women childless, it will make your mother childless and then the passage says and then Samuel hacked Agag the Amalekites into pieces now there is there's one movie I've seen about the life of David and particularly this storyline that showed (laughs) what the lesson was meant to be experienced Saul is sitting on a throne thinking he's living a pretty good life after making a monument in his own image, just enjoying the big victory of the Amalekites, thinking he was you know, completely obedient to the Lord. And in this scene, when Samuel is hacking Agag into pieces, Saul is getting blood splattered with it. And then finally, the last that happens is, sorry kids... He takes the head of Agag and throws it into the lap of Saul. And Saul's trying to get away from it. Message delivered. (laughs) People who fear the wrong things usually regret it too late. And people who fear the right things don't live with regret. And this lesson about Saul is to fear this, that we have a Saul within us. And when when we hear the voice of God usually telling us to do something that we don't want to do, it's going to end up in some expression of our humiliation. And that voice of Saul says, shh, it's okay. You don't need to do that. And then you're on that road. Fear pride. Fear the power of pride. Just stop right here. That's it. That's the lesson. Think about your own life. And how this might apply. And what it takes to be tender hearted towards the Lord. Innocence. And this constant submission of this demon dragon called ego to obey is better than sacrifice the curtain closes after this and god is grieving and samuel is mourning and it looks like israel is back in the in the time of judges all over again is there any hope for us is there any is what can be done? Look, look at, look at all the potential, right? There's that word. Look at all the potential. What of God's chosen people? And then God says, "Now let me pick a king, not like all the other nations." And He says this uh, in an event where Samuel was speaking to Saul, now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him a ruler of his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you to do. A man after God's own heart. means he's in harmony with God. This person is going to grieve when God grieves. He's going to rejoice with things that God rejoices. And when it comes to obedience, his definition of obedience will be all the way right away. A man after God's own heart. This, is a, this, this phrase uh, that, that's being used here, that God is, has already picked a man after his own heart, is, is almost like a reference to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Some of you know this passage. It's a beautiful visual of the way God lives you know, in day-to-day life. It says, And the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, throughout all the earth, so that He might find and strengthen the heart that is totally dedicated to Him. Not a beautiful picture of, of what the Lord is like up to, that his eyes are roaming to and fro throughout all the earth so that He might strongly support those whose hearts are completely His. He found that, in a boy named David, just a shepherd, a person that's easy to forget and overlook. And in Psalm 78, there's a history of all God's work, and its section on David reads like this, and he chose David, his servant, and he took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs, he brought him. To the shepherd, to, to shepherd Jacob's people and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them with his skillful hands. Integrity of his heart in Hebrew means it means complete, it means innocent, it means wholeness. Hey, those words sound familiar. In the New Testament, it would be defined as mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Here at Grace Covenant Church, what do we say? become like Christ in all of life. And the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro throughout all the earth so that, so that, so that for the purpose of that he might strongly strengthen those whose hearts are completely his. We want want to be that heart that he stops and strongly strengthens. And that's what we're up to. And that's what I'd like to do. Is like, like, let's go through this series together, looking at the life of David and grow. Let's, let's do this for this very purpose. That in God's roaming and, and searching, he'd stop here at our church, at your heart. Because that's your desire, to be completely devoted to him. Now, when we look at David, I know this. I've taught this before when I was younger, and I I didn't teach David completely. David is especially relevant to us today, and let me tell you two reasons why. One is that in the longest narrative in the entire Old Testament, there's much talk about calling upon the Lord, but there's only one, like, supernatural miracle you know you know red sea parting type miracle and i and i thought that was interesting in that that's how we're living for the most part in in the united states today that god is working powerfully but quietly we have to look for his fingerprints left behind because he's not making a big presentation of his sovereignty and that's how david works in the in first and second samuel he's quietly and powerfully working. And the other reason I think it's particularly relevant today, and it's this is, I'm sorry, in in my reference to, I wish I would have taught differently in the past because of the fullness of the story of the life of David. The, The way it's written violates, for the most part, many ways of writing in contrast to other Old Testament saints that are somewhat simplistic. David, there's so much words spent on describing him in the fullness of the complexity of his persona and his, and like his temperament. Here's, here's, I have a, two or three quotes that try to explain this. David is the first person in history. This is a Jewish scholar. David is the first person in history whose tale is complete and vital. It is laced with passion, savagery, hesitation, betrayal, charisma, faith, family. It's a rich canvas of a large life. He is capable of of great acts, expressions of lasting piety, and then startling cruelty. David's failings are not slight or endearing. Wow. Many scholars don't know what to do with David. Some scholars will write, David is a fiend, and others will say he's a hero. And they have ample evidence for both of their conclusions. Here's another good quote. He says... Commentators and scholars on David can compile these contrasting perspectives, opposing views. One portrays him as a paragon of faith with this one small sin, and another as a Machiavellian villain who connives and rises to rule. And each of them has adequate evidence to prove their point. It's, It's the inconsistencies of David, I think, that I can identify with. And as I've gotten much older and I've looked at saints that try to get to the finish line without tripping, I've become more compassionate towards those that have because of the life of David and the difficulties of life. It's, It's a life we can identify with and it's a life we can live from. One historical scholar said, this is the first human being written about in the literary world. It's all about his life. It's all about his humanity. It's the fullness of that. And the fullness of David in our culture, it's funny that people that are outside the church and synagogue, they know of David. It's part of our vocabulary, right? You hear a story about a sexual scandal involving a person in power. And and people will say on the streets, well, that's a David and Bathsheba story. Anytime there's against all odds expression of, of, con, of, of contest, whether it's on an athletic field or political event or whatever it might be, what do we say? David and Goliath. One of the best-selling management books is called David and Goliath. In my field, in my business, it, we'll have a phrase when you see some conniving but charming mutiny take place in a church, we'll say, he's an Absalom. Someone will call and give a reference. Yeah, he's really good, but he's an Absalom. Enough said. There's just no tiring is the point. There's no tiring of the the compounding and multitude of lessons we can learn from David. And so even today, Jews will sing regularly, David, king of Israel, David, king of Israel, alive, alive, eternal. That's like a song they sing a lot. So let's do this together. Let's study the life of David. Learn lessons about the nature of our own souls and the nature of God so that we might become like Christ in all of life. But this is the last fact that you need to know as you read through. What I'd like us to do is, is as we study together, if you could catch up next. You know, between now and next week. Read 1 Samuel 1-16. through 16. If you want to get connected at Grace Covenant Church or want to study more, starting next week, we're going to have at the 11 o'clock hour in the auditorium, uh, there's two couples that are very, they love the Lord. Both couples love the Lord, and they're opening up a discussion group so that you could take the lesson from the teaching time, go right in there at 11 o'clock and find some new friends and learn how to apply it to your life. But as we read it together, I want you to be watching this. That he, David, a man after God's own heart, is still a consequence of his choices. That we live with our choices. And you'll see in David's life that if you, you sow an act, you reap a habit. And when you sow a habit, you reap a lifestyle. And when you sow a lifestyle, you reap a destiny. It happens with Saul, it happens with David. It happens in every life because we are the consequences of our choices. So, let's go on this little adventure together. Let's see what we can learn from David. From what we can learn from his success and his love for the Lord. What we can learn about ourselves and why and how he fails. Is he becoming like Christ in all of life? We'll find that Goliath is the smallest giant he'll ever have to slay. He'll run towards that giant, but he'll run from his own son because he chose not to surrender all of his life. We'll see that even next week. So, let's do this together. Ready, Grace? Let's go. Lord Jesus, let me just stop and pause The lesson today is to fear pride and fear the power of pride in our lives. It's ability to completely manipulate our ability to see reality for what it is. Ability to see right and wrong. It has the power to cause us to redefine everything around us so that we can't be, won't be wrong. And that is an offense to you. it it keeps us from even knowing you or hearing your voice so lord god when we hear that ego shush us from your spirit leading us to repentance god give us the courage and the wisdom to know it's not from you it's from saul and we quench that pride for your glory so that we might become like Christ in all of life and be known for humble servants. Lord, I'd ask that you would stop at this address when your eyes are roaming to and fro throughout all the world, seeking to strongly strengthen those who are completely devoted to you, that you would stop here and see those hearts that are completely devoted to you. And Lord, finally, I'd ask that if we have unfinished business of taking responsibility for our sin and we have redefined it, made excuses for it, blamed others for it, or even through church lingo on top of it to justify it, that now, now we would take responsibility and call it what it is and make things right with our fellow man, And with your holiness. We'll start there. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.